Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my life stream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter, and musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And on this episode of the podcast, we cross to Cape Town, where we find multi-award-winning film director, screenwriter, photographer, and musician, Joe Connor, on his latest top-secret shoot. Our discussion kicks off with the creation of his brilliant Sky Arts Wildwood documentary, a 2023 film that features the story behind the 1993 Paul Weller masterpiece as it celebrates its 30th anniversary. Joe also happened to create the unforgettable Kaleidoscope-led music video for Brand New Toy in 2014, featuring Paul Weller, Ben Cordelia, and an actual build of a massive optical toy. 2018 saw Joe's first ever feature-length project hit cinema screens as he followed Paul Weller on his road to a landmark performance at the Royal Festival Hall. The film May Love Travel With You is not only utterly brilliant, it's also a celebration of Paul's True Meanings album and the concerts that led to the Other Aspects double album release. The film documents that stunning performance of the full album, along with plenty of deep cuts and Paul Weller classics, intercut with interviews with the man himself and an array of amazing collaborators. We'll hear from Joe about how this all began with a love of performance art and how as a filmmaker he's created music videos for some of the biggest music stars on the planet. We're talking the Rolling Stones, Coldplay, Sam Smith, Harry Styles, Ellie Goulding and Kylie Minogue, to name just a few. We'll really dig into his creative process and his love of telling stories through film and music, because we'll also dig into the story of his first album released under the pseudonym Vincent Sonder, which happened to be recorded at Paul Weller's Black Barn Studio. This is an absolute corker of an episode. Let's get into it. Joe Connor, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
the magic of Zoom, I find you right now in Cape Town, where I can already see the reflection of the mirror in the background. You've got some good weather there, my friend, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, trying to avoid British winter. I've got a few projects to shoot, so I'm down here in uh, Cape Town for a bit. Wise move, man. Wise move. As you'd expect from the podcast, I do my research show. And the first thing I want to ask you about is a tweet that you sent where you said, they say never meet your heroes unless your hero is Paul Weller. I can confirm he's a gents, a legend and the most creative soul going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I, like a load of people, I grew up listening to the jam and Star Council. And, you know, like I used to be in a band when I was a teenager and we used to play jam covers like in the city and things like that and and my brother actually my older brother is a massive Weller fan and so I'd always his his music had always just been like in and around my life yeah and then sort of very fortuitously kind of met him and was very 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 happy to report that he's an absolute legend he's great because I mean, you work with a lot of stars. You have worked with a lot of musicians and other um, you know, actors, you know, fam- famous people who have reached a certain level of notoriety. Um, and some people in this industry can be complete tossers, let's be honest. But you seem to have a pretty good track record of working with some absolute gems. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of, you know, I try to be as kind of nice a person as possible just in life and so i think you kind of attract nice people so i've been really blessed to sort of work with i've never really come across any nightmares you know I've, and I've, as you say like i've managed to work with a lot of really interesting people and just always had pretty good experiences but working with paul has always been a, a really great experience and you know he's he knows exactly what he wants and he knows what's good and that's the reason why he's paul weller but um he's one of the most creative people I've ever met, you know, in terms of somebody who doesn't rest on their laurels, somebody who's always generating new ideas, somebody who's always trying new things and like expanding themselves. And it's kind of amazing to watch because he could totally just sit and play the jam for the next 20 years and he'd sell out stadiums and sell out, you know, but he doesn't do that. He's constantly putting out amazing albums and every new album is like, different and better than the last one and it's it's, it's very inspiring to look i was going to say as a creative yourself that must be inspiring but that's it's not easy to do though is it because particularly if you've been in the game for a long time to keep generating new ideas to treat keep get, trying to push in different directions is 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 hard isn't it yeah i mean it's you know it's the kind of thing that i've learned from working with people like paul and watching them in their industry and in their world is that you know, people call me up and they want this, something that I did five or six years ago. And I kind of have that little voice in my head that goes, yeah, it'd be quite easy to just do that again. And then the other voice comes in your head and goes, nah, do something new. Like, don't do the same thing. Never repeat the same trick twice. Never, never kind of settle for something that's not creatively fulfilling. So you're always trying to find something new within what you're doing. And you know, and, and it's the details as well, you know, just the the little things. So, you know, you just notice him, even though Paul's had the same band or the same people around him throughout his career, he'll then bring on a new person or he'll try something new. Or So he's, there's always an element of his work that I've kind of been inspired by where he's trying new things and new people and that sort of gives him new results. So it's fun. Mm. But it's very easy to just slip into doing the same thing. So it's, you know, it's cool that he doesn't. 
Yeah, and I guess it's that thing of as a in your world as well. Like you say, somebody's seen the music video; they want you to repeat that trick or do a version for them, right? So like, I liked that. Can you do me one of those? I mean, somebody did. I can't remember who it was, but somebody did once ask me. Like, I think it was a commercial, and they were like, "Oh, could you um, could you do what you did for Paul Weller?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> I, I, I was like, I did it for Paul Weller. I'm not going to do it for anyone else. It's like, it's, you know, it's like I built a 50 foot kaleidoscope for my hero. I'm not going to do it for something I don't care about. You have to be quite strong and like, so if, if I'd done it again, it'd dilute what I'd already done. So, yeah. We'll talk about that brand new toy video, which was, I mean, this was in an age where. The technology now, I don't know. Well, we'll talk about it. I don't know. Because in my head, I'm thinking probably you wouldn't build the bloody thing nowadays. But we'll talk about that later. I want to kick into Wildwood, first of all. So right, yeah. the, most recently, Bang Up Today, we've had this brilliant documentary of this magical album that's 30 years old now. And my discovery of Paul Weller was just b- before that. It was the first album. But th- this was you know, such a key part of me loving the music of this man was Wildwood. So to get this proper, like, full-length documentary the other week on Sky Arts was just magical, man. So how did you get involved in that? And take me through the process. So it was an absolute dream. A producer called Andrew Winter got in touch with me and runs a company called White Light. We were speaking just about, just generally about music documentaries. And I really enjoyed doing the the other aspects one for Paul. And I make music videos, I make commercials, I want to make feature films. I love making documentaries. I write music. So it's kind of, I'm always trying to, play in lots of different spaces so that I don't become kind of confined or stale. So I was talking to him about like projects I'd like to do, or he was chatting to me about bands that were coming up with different projects that were maybe going to need a feature length documentary. And that chat just percolated into there might be an opportunity to make something for Paul. Like, and I know that you know him. So how would you want to do another documentary about Paul? And I was like, I would absolutely jump at the chance to make a documentary about Paul again. And then he came back and said, it's, you know, the anniversary of Wildwood. Would you want to make one about Wildwood? And Wildwood has always been like the Paul solo album that like lives on my Spotify's current plays. It lives on my turntable at home rarely taken off it's just like the album that you know can still listen to it start to finish and never skip a track and if i'm on a long drive i put it on it's like it's just always been in my life as like an absolutely classic british album an amazing piece of creativity and you know there's not many things that make me love being british but i think wildwood kind of type taps into something that is so sort of cool about this weird island that we live on which is just creativity and like storytelling and kind of modern folk music in a kind of you know it's like nick drake or something like that you know nick drake makes you so like buzz to be english that that music came out of here and um it's the same with wildwood so i was absolutely stoked I jumped at the chance and we made it really quickly. You know, the, from start to finish, it was only a, you know, it was a couple of months. It was maybe a month, six weeks to get all the interviews together and to get the project together. And then I worked with a great editor called Alex who really like sort of shaped the project so well. And yeah, really just pleased about the way it came out. Cause I think it, I think it, we tried to tell a story that you don't normally tell in classic album kind of documentaries, which are usually like very navel gazing, like, oh, isn't it all amazing? Wasn't it fantastic? Isn't it like, and this is how we made it. And I think what I was trying to 
get is what does that album mean? Like, what does it mean to the people that made it? And what does it feel like? And what does it, how does it kind of reflect the time that it was made and also the place it was made and all those kind of extra levels of narrative that I really wanted to try and put into a documentary like that. There's also this great story arc in a way where you get, obviously it's off the back of this first solo album, Paul having the rejected record deal from, or rejected album from the Style Council. So that coming to an end, him being without a record deal, him trying to find his his groove, his mojo again. We get that first album, which doesn't do great business, but it is a return to form, if you like. And then Wildwood, and then it, but then it goes on to Stanley Road and this huge level of success, which he doesn't feel comfortable about, which he talks about in the documentary. It, It kind of, you know, it getting to be too much in terms of fame. So Wildwood's a great example of it being in the middle of that storyline. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of catapult. And I think that's what's so compelling as a viewer is that you know what the story goes on to become. Like, you know that the next thing he makes is Stanley Road and he kind of redefines a a genre of music, you know, in the kind of quintessential Britpop era. And the success of that album and then subsequent successes and successes. And I think Paul's trajectory of completely goes, escalates from that point, but there's something so special about that little moment. You know, someone once told me this amazing phrase, which I always loved, which is that you can only take a photo of the Eiffel tower half built once, like once it's built, it's built. You can't go back in time and see it half built again. And I think what the nice thing about this documentary is, it's like going back to a time when Paul Weller, we know now in the modern era, this sort of third wave of career as a solo artist. He was building it at the time of making this album. He was trying to work out what his sound was. He was trying to work out how he was going to be as a solo artist. And it was very, yeah, it's really cool to go back to all the archives and to talk to the people and kind of get a summation of how he managed to find a really rich vein of gold again. That must have been so lovely to speak to those people. I mean, many of them have been on the podcast and I've had that joy of the experience of chatting to them about their memories as well. But you're getting people like Andy McDonald, uh, Jack O'Peak, yeah. Steve White. There's a fan that must be a real buzz for you as well. But they all played such a key role in the creation of that album. Yeah, and I think that's one of it's one of like Paul's strengths, I think, is that he has this magnetic quality of like galvanizing people around an idea or a feeling and he's so decisive about what it should be or what it could be but then also so open to like other people's inputs so like one of the nice things on the documentary was when steve was talking about you know some of the drum beats and how they would come out of jams in sound checks that they would be kind of jamming tracks that he was writing while they were playing the first album and you know, it was only during one of the sound checks that Paul was like, yeah, that's it. You know, that's the drum beat for this song or that's the drum beat for, I think it's, it's really cool that that, that kind of freedom and um, spontaneity is kind of allowed, mm. you know, we're not allowed, but we're, you feel like, I suppose now modern music is so everybody's recording everything all the time. So that that, that kind of loose percolation of ideas is less, less apparent nowadays so the fact that they wrote the iconic drum beat for sunflower just in a sound check and paul's like yeah that's it that's that's it that's a drum beat it's kind of it was amazing to listen to 
also looking back through that archive footage and seeing that on the screen but I also loved the way it was all put together and edited together so when you you watch a song like Wildwood you'd hear the song but you'd be seeing different performances from different moments in that story all cut together it was a beautiful bit of editing that yeah I mean that is that is really the strength of Alex the editor I mean because I normally it's hard to find an editor for like long form music documentaries which sounds Sounds like an ox, an oxymoron that, but a red herring, but it's not. It's, you know, cause they're long, they, they take a lot of time. They're a labor, labor of love. And as an editor, it's like, you know, in the space of time that it, it's taking to do a feature length documentary, you could have done four or five projects and hmm. you've really got to like, like the project and love the project in order to kind of stick with it for how long it needs to be done for. And. I'd never worked with Alex before, but I put a little call out for anyone that was a fan that within my sphere, you know, within my, my kind of and um, contacts. And he came out to say like, look, I love Paul Weller. I'd love to get involved. And he absolutely smashed that edit. Like it was the, the first edit, you know, before I then sort of started to shape it or before we got into the nitty gritty, the first edit was a joy to watch. You know, he'd really like got the brief of what I was trying to do and really found the bits in the interview that helped to kind of shape that and create that conversation. And I was very, not that it's a story that ever would, but I was very conscious that I didn't want to like take anybody's voice out of context and force any ideas into the film. You know, I really wanted to be quite truthful to what people said. And so you just managed to weave it together so beautifully and then find the right, you know, we found the right archive that sat over the top of it. And I went and shot some bits as well that we needed in order to kind of flesh out the story and that was good, man. No, really great project, man. And such yeah. a lovely reaction on social media. I know that people, you know, obviously the fans are loving it, but lots of other people have mentioned to me about, you know, even even people who aren't kind of deep fans of the solo years, and there are plenty of them who gave up yeah. at the end of the jam and whatever, but also went, do you know what? That was a cracking watch. So, you know, fair play. It's that it stands up as a film on its own, which is really great. Well, I think they become like I can I can imagine that like albums like that they become they're almost like museum pieces you know they sit in a they kind of culturally we sort of have them as like these things that we don't feel are still you know i don't know we we kind of forget how amazing certain albums are and how incredible and relevant they still are i think you know lawrence watson says an amazing thing in the documentary where he says great artists are all are always way ahead of everyone else and it's only you know it's the job of the listener to catch up with the artist rather than the artist to come down to the listener. And I think you put on, you know, you put on Wildwood and you walk through any town in England or any town in the world, really, actually, but certainly in England. And there's something within that music that's encoded with it that just like really resonates with the experience of going, of just living on this planet, you know, even like, 20 years later, 30 years later, whatever, it's like, it's still so vital and still has so much life in it that it's not a, you know, it's like if you go and listen to classical music or hear a Shakespeare play or something, so some things are just eternal. They just last forever. I get the sense with all of your work, I mean, there's there, there has to be, much like Paul, you have to be invested in it. You have to absolutely love what you're doing. You're not just selecting projects for, for the payday. Um, no, I'm actually really, I'm really rubbish if I'm, if I'm not in love with it. I can't do, I just actually, it's, love is a really funny thing, man, because that is, that's the, that is the currency of my brain. I can't, like, it doesn't work if I don't love it. And I can't, I, I've actually tried, I've tried to take certain projects where I've gone, yeah, I don't really love it, but you know, I'll just, 
I'll do this for the next sort of couple of weeks. And it's always been a disaster. And I learned that lesson early in my twenties where I was just like, I have to do things that I love or I have to find something in it that I love about it. So it might be, you know, a musical angle or it might be a, an artist I really want to work with or it might be a, could be anything, but you've got to find the thing in it that you're like, I really love this. And I thought for me, it was, can I tell a story about a classic album for an artist I love and an album that I love, but in a way that I haven't seen many people do before? You know, can I bring like some naivety to it, which is that rather than the paint by numbers, um, this is how you make a classic album documentary. But also the thing that strikes me about your work is that you put that in the heart of everything that you do, whether it's even like commercial stuff. So, you know, the, the great film for Volvo, it mm-hmm. still has heart and soul and creativity and love and Ultimately, it's back to, I guess, storytelling, like you just mentioned there. It's all about that as well. But the, the, all of those projects, this is not just that you love the artists and you want to work, you know, anything you create has your heart and soul in it, which is beautiful, man. Yeah. I find a lot of like comparison with musicians, which is that I can imagine somebody coming to Paul and saying, okay, you need a radio out. You need something that's going to work on radio. And he knocks out changing man or something do you know what i mean and it's like one of the most amazing songs you've ever heard but it's like such a radio classic that you're like oh my god how have you done that and it's kind of similar with film which is that you know somebody goes okay this is a commercial for a car brand or this is a music video for Coldplay or something and you can play with the rules of what you know needs to happen so a radio tune needs to be catchy and a radio and it, or something that's going to kind of help propel an album forward but you can still make an absolute classic do you know what I mean or you can still make a great piece of work in those mm. in that playground so I kind of enjoy doing that that you know if it's a car ad you just I mean you don't rest on your laurels you just try and find a new creative way of playing with what's been done before and what's expected of you because there's always a brief in my world there's always a brief of like you know we need to see the artist or we need to see the car or we need to see this and you're like okay how can i do that but make it so that it catches people in a fresh way and i don't really like shouting at people you know quite a quiet I'm not quite a character. I'm a bonkers character, but I'm quiet in my work, which is that I'm quiet in my work, which is that I, I don't like sort of attention grabbing, screaming, shouting pieces of work that are like dopamine hits. I quite like just things that are really well made and beautifully done and just kind of sit with people longer than a sort of sugar hit. And that's, you know, and it's the same with this documentary as well was, was, you know, trying to find a way of, doing that of making a documentary and not it just being like a cheap a cheap sort of ride through history it was like how do we find something deeper more emotional how do we give people like sustenance and visual stimulation and emotional stimulation and narrative stimulation so that i want in 50 years 100 years or in even in two years i want people to say that's a you know i learned something from watching that that i didn't know or i felt something about it or i reconnected with the music again and but it's also that power of film that took, I mean, it took me right back there to that beginning. I mean, I was like a 16, 17 year old kid again and seeing the footage of the live shows and the feelings yeah. I had when I was playing Sunflower for the first time and that album opening. And it's like, oh yeah, it's like bloody hell, man. <laughs> Andy was telling me that he met his wife, who he's, who I then met while we were making this documentary. She's, she's amazing. He met, he met his wife, I think at one of the press 
evenings or press events for this album for Wildwood that he was putting out and he it, so to him this album is like monumental because he met his wife there he's been married to you know forever so he's like you know the kind of sharing that story where you realize that these albums become real markers for people's lives and they kind of soundtrack them and certainly this album you know it's like the numbers it did and how much it's just seeped into the consciousness that it, it is totally like the score of a gener of generations, even like new ones, you know. One of the things that came up in research as I was reading about you fascinated me. It was the job that you had as a projectionist, yeah, yeah. which leads into this, I mean, almost like a forced lover film because you're having to watch films like what, like three times a night, seven days a week, right? Yeah. So I, I was a projectionist and well, actually I started as a, it was like a, a cinema, an art house cinema where they had a bar in the back. And I started as a barman because I could just pull pints and I was like 20, 19, 20 and I was just pulling pints in this cinema. And at the time I was training to be a theater director. So I wanted to be a, I wanted to make theater and I hadn't really thought about film. I mean, I, you know, I like film. I like watching films. I like going to the cinema, but I never thought like I'm going to make a film. And I just, you know, used to sit at the back of the cinema watching it and you kind of, it just seeps into you because you can't do anything else. And then the projectionist that was there became ill and they needed somebody to be trained as a projectionist. And it was like, it was, I remember the decision. It was like an extra one pound 50 an hour. And I was like, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> That's great. And they trained me to, to use the projector and to build film and to build celluloid. And I became just really engrossed in, in the world of, of all the films that came because you, so basically the films come in canisters of 20 minutes and you build the film so it's on one big cake reel that then projects the whole film. So you feel like part of the presentation of it. At that point, it was a sole, solely a 35 mil film cinema. And we would get like old prints of like Buster Keaton films or Chaplin films or Kubrick films. And they'd be from the BFI. And, you know, it would have been projected like 7 million times. And you're like, I get to like chop it up and tape it together and reproject it and show it to people and show this like masterwork to people. There's two sort of interesting things happen. One, you become very attuned to what different directors are doing. So you you watch the work and then after a while, you sort of, you just notice all the nuances and the differences between certain people. So you can kind of not see the tricks, but you can see the fingerprints of people quite quickly. And then the second thing that happens is you stop watching the film and you start watching the edit. So you watch how somebody has constructed the feelings you're having. So you watch 2001 and you feel a sense of like majesty and awe, but actually it's a really skillful construction of images and sound that give you that feeling and put you in that place. And it's the same with music, you know, when a chorus drops in and it's just so perfect and it takes you somewhere, that's actually not the chorus's job. That's everything that's come before that chorus that has brought you to that moment. And you then start to want to do it. You know, you're just kind of watching it more and more and you just want to want to try to do the same, the thing that's modeled to you. So you're watching all these films and you're like, God, it'd be great to try that. And then, and so I just slowly stopped making theater and started to make more and more films. And that's actually how I met Paul was that I started to make music videos for like bands that I met and people that I came into contact with just living in London. And then, um, one of the people that I met was Andy Crofts, who was the singer of the Moons. 
And he was like, oh, do you reckon we could make some music videos together? I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So I made him a couple of music videos. And then I just remember after like three music videos where all we had was like 50 quid and a packet of crisps, he was like, I showed Paul your music videos and he loves them. He'd love to meet you. And I was like, who the fuck is Paul? Like I was, I just thought he, I just <laughs> yeah, thought he yeah. meant his mate Paul. I was like, who the hell is Paul? And he was like, he's like Paul Weller. I was like, why are you showing my films to Paul Weller? How do you know Paul Weller? He's like, oh, I'm in Paul Weller's band. And I was like, sorry, what? You know Paul? <laughs> it was like, it was really like fortuitous that like I had no idea. You know, I didn't. I was just kind of living in the moment. I wasn't like going home and researching what people were doing and where they were. And I was just like, oh, I'm making some videos for this guy and for his band and i really like andy and i just like became mates with him and ben gordelia and you know all the guys that were in kind of paul's band around um sort of saturn's pattern era yeah and then suddenly like i was meeting paul weller and making a music video for him and it was just it's kind of mad that is mad that was a brilliant story paul paul who (laughs) yeah well you know it's like well i've been showing it to paul and you're like i have no context for this conversation (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that leads to brand new toy this wonderful video where we have paul on bass guitar piano ben's in the video as well this kaleidoscope that you build so where does that idea come from your head paul's head a collaboration yeah no i mean paul they just sent me the track and they sent me the track and they just said come up with some ideas and you know again it's like you always try to not you always try and get the bad ideas out first. So you're like, there are, as, a, as you say, like there's certain tropes with um, music videos that are kind of, you know, they're a bit first base. So I always try and get past the first base and try to like explore something a bit more fun or a bit deeper. And then I try to really simplify it so that it becomes kind of very clean and very, as in as an idea, as a concept, so that you could say it in an you could say it in a sentence and someone would totally get it so you know i was kind of noodling around some ideas and thinking about what to do and and then also you kind of like you're thinking about who you're doing it for so like i had at one point i was like i'm gonna build this massive bouncy castle and everyone's gonna be on this bouncy castle play and then i was like i can't put paul weller on a bouncy castle he's way too cool like (laughs) you know what i mean i was like that's a stupid idea it'd work if it was like i don't know like olivia rodrigo or someone or uh you know madness yeah yeah or or madness for yeah for instance but it's like paul's like the coolest man ever like you can't you know, that that then brings another challenge where you're like, I don't want to be the guy that Paul goes, you made me look like an idiot. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. I need to make Paul look like the coolest guy ever that he is anyway. So then I just thought, actually, like, yeah, the, the idea for the kaleidoscope just came thinking about toys and something playful, but then how to make something playful kind of cool and visual. And then I just landed on this kaleidoscope. And as you say, like, you know, the first thought is do it all in post-production. And like, that's a very simple thought. And then I thought, if you can do things optically, you know, there's a reason why Christopher Nolan, for instance, still builds sets and still builds miniatures. And, you know, he doesn't do it all in post because I think we can, the humans can tell, you can really tell when there's no heart in it or when there's no humanity in it. But when you can see the fingerprints on things, you're like, that's really cool. So I built a, I can't, I think it was a 20 foot kaleidoscope, a 30 foot kaleidoscope, which is a triangle of mirror. And then 
put Paul at one end and just pushed a camera through it on a technocrane. And it created this amazing, amazing look of just, you know, just this amazing visual trick. But then the, the trick of the video is then everybody always wants to do the trick in the first second because they're like, show the kaleidoscope. And you're like, no, because that'll kill it, man. You need to not, you need to reveal the kaleidoscope at the perfect musical point and not blow it too soon. And that's part of the problem with the modern world that we live in and like TikTok and Instagram and how visual language is kind of tailored to those platforms is that everybody needs everything in the first second. Show us it in the first second so we can move on. And it's like, actually, uh, I see it as like a punk act of defiance, which is that I'm not going to give you what you want in the first second. Like I'm going to make you wait. And like, I'm going to take you on a journey that's going to just be slower or like be cooler or you know it's like this isn't cheap you know we're not like making a tiktok here like we're kind of no 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 offense to those platforms but they have kind of reverse engineered or infiltrated the way we consume media Mm. it's all about the first three seconds isn't it it's like yeah avoiding the skip yeah but i think if you can somehow still catch people and like hold them and and sort of change them, subvert them, surprise them, and and you know it's, you're in a cooler place. I think a much cooler space. So uh, yeah, then the trick was how to not show the kaleidoscope until it was the time to show it, which I think was the first chorus. Yes, he looks cool. I mean, Ben looks cool as well. And I'm imagining that you're not having to do wardrobe for Paul Weller on a shoot like that, are you? He's bringing his own togs in, right? <laughs> I mean, he's the most well-dressed man I've ever met in my life. He's like sartorially just excellent. So, uh, yeah, he just turned up like that, which is amazing. You know, you're like, sometimes <laughs> people, sometimes people turn up to shoots and you're like, Oh my God, like we need, uh, you know, the stylist has got their work. Cut out. <laughs> we need a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or like, you know, you're like, good job. We got a really good stylist on this, but I don't even think we had a stylist on a uh, brand new toy. It was just Paul just turned up in, in his gear and he just looks amazing. Isn't that brilliant? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now this leads into loads of other work, but one of the things I want to touch on from a Weller point of view is your first ever feature length project. Yeah. Well, we mentioned it a little while ago. So may love travel with you as the film as part of other aspects, this brilliant concert at the Royal Festival Hall with Hannah Peel and the orchestra and you making a documentary following Paul on the road for that that concert yeah. or those concerts I mean and it was a similar you know it's a similar kind of approach which is that a concert film you know we've all seen millions of concert films and it's like the whole concerts exist on YouTube now you can just sit and watch them and, and they're a very pleasant experience but again I was thinking I wanted to create a film that really caught someone like Paul in a situation that he was uncomfortable in you know, well, he was, you know, he was he's yeah. well everywhere, but I think he'd never done anything like that before where he'd stripped his music down. He worked with an orchestra. He, he was working with Hannah, who is like an incredible artist and, you know, how that symbiosis, symbiosis between a, a rock band and rock players with classical players and a classical kind of uh, knowledge how they work together was something that Paul had kind of not really done a lot of and certainly not in front of people. You know, I'm sure he's, you know, I'm sure he'd done it in a studio, but there's something about doing it live in front of people. And, you know, it created an inherent drama that I kind of leaned into and thought, I'm just going to, I'm going to like explore this more. And that's why it then turned into this kind of episodic chapter where we hear three songs and then we see a bit more of the creation of it and then hear three more songs and the creation of it. And, it just became a richer project for it. Yeah, that tension really makes the film because you get that 
almost like the fear in their eyes of what they're what they've signed up to in a way. <laughs> so we came yeah. up with this mad idea, a bit like the kaleidoscope. I suppose. Came up with this mad idea. We now need to deliver it. You can see yeah. that on each of the musicians' faces when Steve Craddock's talking and all that. You know, they're going, "Fuck, this is big, man." <laughs> and, it, and it also, like, you know, when it that album, you know, I think that album's amazing. I think it's a really, really beautiful album, and it really opens up the the end when he plays tracks like books or he plays may love travel with you you feel like you've gone on this journey with this character and like i certainly had like an like when i watch it i have like this kind of feeling of elation and beauty about it that you kind of you know the music seems to translate more because you've gone on this journey with them rather than just watching it straight from beginning to end and i was really proud with how that one came out it's also that vulnerability is something that you wouldn't expect of a a musician of of that caliber of yeah. that that many years you know i want i want to, i don't want to use the word vintage but i can't think of anything else but you know he's been in the industry for like 50 years working in music now and yeah. you know but to still have that vulnerability that anxiety about what he's going into is that story but again it comes back to storytelling doesn't he the story you're telling that arc through what yeah. was a magnificent performance when we get to the end of it but the journey you take us on is lovely i hope paul won't mind me putting words in his mouth but you know one of the things that i've heard him talk about is that he doesn't he doesn't necessarily think about how he's the mechanics of how he's doing what he's doing he's he's kind of like you know i think jacko in the in the documentary sort of says he's like a or it might be mickey they sort of say he's like a he's like a carpenter you know he's just making a chair and to Paul Weller, he's just like making songs and he doesn't really know how he's making them or why he's making them. And he's not really like thinking too much about it or pouring himself over it too much. It's like for him, he's just an amazing craftsman that is making something like a chair that works really well. And so you can see he kind of puts himself in these positions as ways to kind of keep himself creatively stimulated so he's not just like doing the same thing over and over again but he's coming across new challenges and new new ways of doing it there must have been that wonderful thing of you the former projectionist seeing that film on the big screen yeah, it was amazing i know it was brilliant it was really good yeah it's always a thrill actually when even like if you make a commercial and it's on in the cinema and you see it before a film or if you you know and projecting into the future if anybody ever lets me make a you know if you ever get the chance to sort of make something long long form that's dramatic it's always a thrill when you when you see things presented and i think it's something that we've lost in the streaming world is the kind of presentation and curation of work you know it's like you go on netflix and seminal pieces of work are next to like made in chelsea and you're like <laughs> yeah, how yeah, do they yeah. sit next to each other and yeah. it's the, the problem with not having great record stores at the minute it's like you go on spotify and it's like what used to be great we should go into a good independent record store and you you talk to the person about their taste and what's coming up and what's great and what you should try and you like this so you should try that and we've kind of lost that curation of experience with streaming where now there's an algorithm that's like you like this so we're just going to feed you more of that and you don't get to abstract your own taste so much so it's um you know it's nice to go to the cinema or good independent cinemas and you know we're blessed in london and i'm this you know there's a few around the, around the country which is you know there's a curation of what gets put on there and you kind of trust the taste of the place and you'll go and give it a go and i think it's it's an experience across music and film and theatre and good live bars, you know, that book good acts like that are 
grassroots acts you know it's kind of we've sort of lost this ability to properly present and curate our work so it's always a pleasure when we can see it you know when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, it struck me during the pandemic, the lockdown periods, where we couldn't go out to gigs, we couldn't go out to the cinema. We were, we were starved of it, and we suddenly missed it, but... It feels like we're now back out of that. And we haven't, in, certainly we haven't embraced cinema in the same way as we did previously because of those streaming platforms. But that value mechanism seems to have disappeared as well. We don't value those things as much as perhaps we used to. Yeah. And I mean, I think we, I think it's, it's also like, if you put it in a musical context, like musicians that I've always just, that are like eternal, that you love, like the Beatles or Bowie, you know, it's like they never made the same album twice. They never did the same trick twice. They always surprised you as a, as a listener and you're, and it's the same with Paul as well. And you're excited to hear what the next thing is. And I think now in modern cinema, you know, if you look at the pinnacle at the apex of modern cinema, like what is at the top of the tree, you'd, be hard pushed to not say it's Marvel, Marvel films and DC films. What's the difference between two of them? What's the difference between a Captain America film and an, and an Iron Man film apart from, you know, a couple of characters, but the film is always the mechanism of it is always the same. And you could say, you know, what's the difference between modern musicians, their past album and their current album. And if you're talking about the very, very apex of kind of commercial music, I was very happy to see that kind of Taylor Swift like pushed herself to work with Aaron Dessiner from the national and like Justin Vernon and like try something new. And she made some amazing albums, you know, like folklore is a cool album. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I'm like, I love music enough and I love people doing things differently enough to be like, that's cool that you did. That's really cool. And so I mean, now I am a Taylor Swift fan. Maybe I sound like I am, but um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, she made some cool albums, and yep. I think that's part of the part of the thing. I think post pandemic that you'd love to see the breakdown of is this kind of very mono, same tone kind of work that is at the kind of top, the apex. Because you know, the Beatles were at the apex, and Bowie was at the apex, and they were completely like it was different every time they did something. So it kind of be good to get that again. And filmmakers as well, you know, you know, the filmmakers that are at the top of the tree doing amazing things like Iratua or Dennis Villeneuve, they're always doing different things. And that's, they're the people that need to be celebrated. And there's some good, great filmmakers coming out at the minute with amazing work. Molly Manning Walker is amazing. You know, her, her new film, How to Have Sex is meant to be amazing. I'm not caught it yet, but like excited to see that. And you just want to see people that are brave and like take chances succeed there's so many things i want to talk to you about 
we'll put details in the show notes. People have to look up these videos for things like, you know, the, the amazing video you created during lockdown for the Rolling Stones, the great work on the Maccabees, the Elephant and Castle trilogy, Coldplay you mentioned earlier on, the fabulous Everglow film that didn't get released but then did all these wonderful stories but i'm aware that you're a busy man so i want to ask you i'm I'm happy to i'm happy to chat let me ask you about the stones because i mean that must as you talk about the apex these guys have just you know been back number one again recently with their first album in lord knows how long you got to make this incredible film for them during the pandemic during this worldwide lockdown which is just an amazing piece of work yeah i mean so again it's that thing of like how to take something and do something different was that and actually, the story of that is that I thought the circus was over. So when COVID hit, I was like, mm, I've kind of lived in the circus for a very long time and I don't really know how to do anything else. So I was like, it's a real problem that this kind of world's over because I don't know how to get a normal job. Like, what do I do for a normal job? Like, you know, I've like managed to make this kind of life of just creating things and telling stories. And I remember sort of... <laughs> telling my girlfriend, I was like, do you reckon I could be an Amazon driver? And she was like, you can barely drive yourself anywhere. She was like, you can't be an Amazon driver. You'll be, you'll be the worst. You will stop on everyone's doorstep and talk to every single person. You'll never deliver anything. You'll be like, you know, making up stories about packages that you're delivering and stuff. She was like, you'll be the worst driver ever. But I really thought that the circus was over. Like we all did. I was like, oh my God, the world's ended. And then it's that like absolute fortuitous look that I got a call from someone at a record label from um, Polydor that were just, I'd done a cold play through them and they called me and said, we've got a project needs to shoot very quickly. Need to think of a really cool idea. Would you be into it? And I was like, absolutely. But um, who is it for? They're like, it's for the Rolling Stones. Do you think you could um, sort of <laughs> get something? Could you get something to make in a couple of days? And I was like, what? <laughs> like I thought the circus was over. Like <laughs> this is this is a bigger circus. It's yeah. mental. <laughs> and then, but then you know a similar thing, which is that you know the creative challenge was not only how do you make a video in a time when you can't. It's very hard to make something, but how do you make a video that subverts everybody's expectations, that plays with the form, that tells a deeper, more resonant story, that reflects the age we live in, but in a way that is beautiful and eternal and not cheap and not a like cheap idea. And so I came on this concept of taking still photographs through a fisheye lens because it kind of reflected this sort of goldfish bowl that we lived in, but then also this big view of the world that was completely empty, like an empty world. And the camera not giving it anywhere to hide, really. You're kind of seeing it through this one sphere of just a completely void world. And then the reason for taking it on photographs is that it could have done it with motion, but I really liked this idea that it was the biggest band in the world, one of the biggest acts of the last 100 years, and will be one of the biggest acts for the next forever. And I really like the idea of making something kind of lo-fi that had a lo-fi quality because I thought I could make a really polished thing for this, but it would in some ways undermine itself because they're the original rock and roll bad boys. They're like, this is Keith Richards. This is Mick, you know, Mick Jagger. This isn't like some pristine manufactured entity. So 
I wanted it to have this kind of janky, bonkers sort of feel to it so that you were always on edge when watching it and you were kind of, you never knew if the camera was going to fall over or if it was or who the person was that was doing the photographs. And then the, I wanted it to be a global story. So then I posted the lens to a load of mates around the world. So I had people in Osaka, Japan, Cape Town, LA. And I purposely kind of picked weird places. So I didn't pick like New York, Paris, Berlin, because I thought we've seen them. So I picked like a mate in Toronto, a mate in Osaka, a mate in, I think it was a mate in Copenhagen, a mate in Cape Town, a friend in Margate. And I thought, actually, we're in this world where, yeah, it's really weird to look at New York empty. That is weird. But all we're going to see, actually, at this point of time is hundreds and hundreds of images of New York empty because everybody's going to be like, wow, New York is empty. But like, isn't it weird that Margate's empty? Like, that's weirder. Like, Margate's completely (laughs) empty. Like, and so is Osaka in Japan. Like, that's totally empty, which I think for me, it kind of spoke to this global communal experience that we we were all having that it didn't matter if you were in, you know, you could be in a a place in Ghana or you could be a place in in Peru and you'd have a very similar experience and I kind of wanted to reflect that some way so then yeah I made this video um had to film I had to get Mick to film himself on his own phone which was really weird and then he sent me the the rushes because I cut I edited it on my kitchen table and it was quite weird being like okay Mick's going to send you his footage from his phone and I was like this is so weird right now (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was absolutely bonkers and then and then you know the video went and did really really well and then recently the BFI acquired it into their archives as like a piece of cultural importance for both it like you know it's showing a time and a place, but then also because it was a Rolling Stones as well. And it kind of just, you know, your work kind of then lives in this. But preserved forever. They're preserved forever. Yeah. And it'll be like, you know, be it's kind of in their archives. It's like a piece of work that will be no doubt pulled out in 50 years when we all go, wasn't that really weird? What we all did. Like yeah, yeah, we, all, yeah. we all went through this really weird period of time. Let's <laughs> go back video again. And, uh, well, let's hope yeah. it's that. And it's not, um, oh, look, here's the first pandemic. Do you remember back then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Episode one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, incredible piece of work. And it's lovely to see so much of your work gets nominated for things, wins awards, you know, whether it's across the commercial space, the music space, the, the films, all that kind of stuff. I guess the dream is to create a feature length movie yourself. Is that a goal? Yeah, yeah, it is a massive goal. And, you know, I'm always writing scripts and ideas and I've always liked artists that can move around a bit, you know, and not be stuck in one pigeonhole. And it's a blessing and a curse because half the time, like when I meet people, they're like, what you do a lot of weird shit, you know, they, you do a lot of weird stuff, man. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm just, I don't know. I just sort of travel around making things and I'm not really sure. And I'm quite happy to work on huge projects that have all the toys and all the kind of prestige. And then the next thing I'll do is a very small thing where I'll just, you know, just literally be, I made a couple of shorts this year that were just me and a camera and, a, and an actor. And we just went out and made something. And I think it's I'm quite happy to keep myself as fresh as I can. And, you know, the dream would be to make a, a feature film, but then the dream would also to continue to make music videos and commercials and documentaries and theater shows and albums and whatever, you know, whatever my kind of 
I try, I try and constantly tap into like what, how I'm feeling about things and what emotional feedback I'm getting from my life and my body and then try and figure out how to use that or do something with it, you know, and it might be music is the thing that feels like the right outlet for it, or it might be a documentary or it might be a, a music video. And I quite like kind of being able to move around yeah. a bit. I've worked yeah. with a lot of creative people in my life, continue to do so. I work for a media agency these days. And how do you tame the voices in your head? Are you one of those? Because the creatives <laughs> so, always seem there's so much going on inside that brain. I don't know yeah. how your head doesn't explode, man. As I said before, like I try and be very quiet in my work. Like I, I always grew up as a very loud kid. Like I had a lot of like energy. I was always the person that had like the kind of class clown or the sort of, um, you know, it's just basically riddled with like, uh, energy and hyperactivity and my brain's always like always been ticking and always been worrying and i found that if i can try and channel i mean it's a life goal as well if i can try and channel a kind of more meditative approach to my work and like try and think about it more and try and be i've actually found it a really great way of like quietening myself down and calming myself down and quietening life so that i can kind of deal with it you know i can kind of understand it and get to know it and have a nice experience so it's not completely like bonkers forever and so i found just approaching things with a softer approach has helped to stop me going crazy i think but you know you still i still get completely energized and enthused by new ideas and i find a buzz about it and i'm always chasing that but i think it's like once i've caught the idea i then try and treat that experience of having an idea with kind of quietness i guess it's also being aware of it now as well so you can manage it and you put the the mechanisms in place you're able to do that it's also removing the ego from it it's very you know it's very hard like i'm a director so i obviously have a healthy ego i must do you know because i think that i can do this thing which is inherently egotistical in some ways but i try to have a very healthy approach to ego and like remove myself as much as i can from the work so say for instance this documentary about paul you could approach it by going i'm going to make this about paul and it's my film and i'm going to do this but instead you're like i try and place myself in service of the thing that i'm doing so you know in service of telling the story of this album like i'm the custodian of it for a minute it's not my album it's not my story it's not my thing this film isn't mine it's it i'm just the custodian of it for a bit and then i give it away and hopefully it's better when it's been through me than when it's not been through me you know and like i just try to have that approach to it so that you tend to find that the work comes out in a nicer more honest way because you're less you're less like placing your ego at the center of it or more just treating it like you're just yeah custodian of it is a good word but that must be such a challenge when you're working with the biggest music stars on the planet you know you're getting recruited to work for harry styles ellie golding celeste sam smith coldplay we mentioned earlier on i mean these are the biggest musicians at the height of the the apex if you like that drives your ego doesn't it you kind of you know you must be feeling that well i don't know i mean i think it's it actually creates a really nice security which allows you to kind of relinquish your ego because i think it could fuel you to be a kind of absolute nightmare or a terror but I'm too northern for that. I don't think I could do it. You know what I mean? It's like, huh. I quite, it's actually allowed me to hopefully like have a better relationship with, with, um, with your ego. And, you know, for me, there's even, let's say even Harry Styles, right? You know, there's a reason why Harry Styles is Harry Styles. You know, he didn't just drop out of the sky. Like he's an interesting person and having met him, he's super magnetic and he's a really, he's a, he's a wicked person. Actually, I really like him. And, and I think, 
you try to, or I certainly try to tap into what is it about that person that has made them, you know, Harry Styles? Like, why do, why is he him? And usually find that it, there's something in them that is uh, unique or special or just in tune with something. And, and it's a more, then you're like, you're dealing with a human, then you're not dealing with like all the trappings of, you know, it's like Paul Weller, right? You know, like, why, why is Paul Weller, Paul Weller? Now you could say, well, he's been in the jam, he's been in the style council and he's done all this stuff. But for me, like Paul's just a deeply creative person and an amazing musician. And he's so in tune with his experience of life. Like at the age of, I don't know how old he was, but writing some of the tunes he wrote in the jam, like, down in the tube station at midnight is like poetry. It's unbelievable that like a kid would write that, you know, because it's like when you look at the structure of the lyrics and how someone's constructed that story from start to finish, so that you are kind of hooked to the, you're hooked to the outcome of this protagonist that's being attacked in the tube station and he's wants to go home to his wife who's got the wine out and the food on the table. And he paints such a, an amazing picture in a punk song. When you start to think about people in that way, you tend to deal with them as a human rather than as the, the name and the trappings and the style. And you're like, actually, you're, you find a kind of commonality where, where you can talk to them and you can converse with them and you can also understand their experience a little bit. That tends to help. I always try and do that. You, know? you mentioned the creation of music and as something as well, another one of these many facets to you and the, these things that you love. I gather that Paul Weller was really encouraging of the creation of your first album, right? Yeah, it's mad actually. I mean, I was I was sort of writing this album a couple of years ago, it was about 2015, and I'd, I've always written music and I've always kind of just written it in my bedroom or written it in my, you know, never really showed any, shown anyone, never really played live. And Again, it's like this real struggle between like what's egotistical and what's the right thing to do, which I think if somebody's like anybody in their life is making something, it's your duty to show people because it's not, it's not actually about, Oh, look at this thing that I've done. Like, aren't I amazing? It's actually just about, you know, I think Marcus Aurelius calls it the work of humans, which is like, you know, an ant doesn't get up and think about, oh, like, you know, this ant mound that I'm making. It's just, it just goes and does it. And I think we need to encourage that as much as possible. And if you have to be the person that goes, I'm going to put this album out that I don't really want to put out and I feel a bit embarrassed about it, it's actually good to do it because other people see it and then they are more encouraged to do it. And we end up with a more creative world. So Paul was very, very encouraging and actually sort of let me use his studio for a couple of days. So I'd, I'd recorded a bit of it at um, a studio in London called Soup with a friend of mine called Dave. And then I was actually at Black Barn talking to Paul about uh, we were going to maybe do a, a live TV series, kind of like a Jules Holland. And we, we it, it was an idea we were just kicking around that maybe we were going to do this or maybe, you know, because since the old Grey Whistle Test has gone, there's only Jules Holland really that plays live music on on TV. So we're thinking about, is there a space for another one of them? And could the barn be the place that that, you know, that happens That I was just sort of noodling around on the piano in his house and like strumming on his guitar. And he was like, oh, it's kind of cool. I was like, oh yeah, I'm sort of writing this album at the minute. And he was like, do you want to use a barn? I was like, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> he was like, 
all right. And he just gave me a slot, you know, because lots of people do go down there to record as well. I think, you know, the moons have been down there to record. Lucy Rose has recorded down there. And so he just kind of gave me a little window of time and was like, knock yourself out, go make something. And it was, it was such like, it's just the coolest thing that anyone could do because he's so encouraging of that spirit of like, show your work, show the thing that you've done. Like I'm sure every record label in the world was like, would, would kind of, try and guide Paul into what type of albums he should release. But he's like, I've just made Sonic Kicks and I love it. So I'm going to release it. I'm going to show it, you know, or I'm going to show Sans Pattern or On Sunset. And he's always put out this work that is testament to where he is. And I'm, I look back at that album and I'm probably a better filmmaker than I am a musician, but I'm really proud that I did it because it's like a little bookmark in my life that like I can, can kind of revisit again. And this was more of a folky album, but there's another yeah. one on the way, which is taking yeah. you in a different route with a director mate of yours, right? Yeah. So I, I made this album under a pseudonym called Vincent Sonder. Vincent's my middle name. And, and I just kind of made this, this folk album, which has always been what I've written, which is guitar and piano based, very Nick Drake, very Wildwood, actually. It's that kind of, that kind of world. And. I tried to make a second one um, during the pandemic and I thought I'd sit down and I've got some tunes kicking around. I'll sit down and try and record a new album. And I just couldn't do it. Like I couldn't repeat the same trick. I couldn't find anything new about making something in the same vein. And I was speaking to a friend of mine called Emil Raphael, who's a filmmaker. I've known him for 15 years. He's a really good friend and an amazing filmmaker. He was going through a very similar thing where he was like trying to write music, but he couldn't quite find the thing that resonated with him. And you're constantly hunting all the time. You're just hunting for the thing that like chimes with you a little bit. We sort of passed some things back and forth to each other in a kind of like, okay, you send me what you've done. I'll send you what I've done. See if I can unlock this for you and you can unlock this for me. And then very organically, we just ended up with like, five tracks that we were like oh my god these are really cool and they're completely different they're like techno it's like radiohead meets faithless kind oh, of wow cool it's very kind of kid a sort of era radiohead it's very hard to pigeonhole i don't know anything that's kind of like it but and we've released it it's called supermodel our like collective name it's called supermodel and we sort of thought we'll just put it out we've got a new video coming out in a couple of weeks and um, the full EP will be out probably by the start of the year, but there's two tracks out already. And there's a third one coming out um, on the 19th of December called Push. I don't want to over egg or overemphasize, but it is, you know, it's so informed by meeting Paul and getting in tune with his way of just making stuff and releasing it and not being too worried about what it means or what it means for what you've done before. Like you can totally change direction, you know, and actually it just makes what you've done richer. And I think he proved that in between the jam and the style council, which is like one of the biggest probably left turns in, you know, in music. And he absolutely nailed it. I mean, and it, there's a bravery in that that I've definitely siphoned or watched and taken on board where you say, well, it feels right. So I'm going to put it out and I'm going to enjoy the experience. And yeah. And hopefully more and more, I mean, we're writing a second EP now. The first EP will be out fully probably by January, February, but the tracks are coming out in dribs and drabs. And then the next EP, we're probably going to get in the studio in February and, and record it. Oh man, this is honestly, what an absolute joy to hear your story, Joe. I look forward to what comes next because it feels like this story is only just beginning as well, which is really fascinating. I mean, there's a long life as a filmmaker, right? And wherever you're going to take it next is really exciting. Yeah, I think so. I'm really enjoying the, the ride at the minute and I'm enjoying, you know, I love 
my job. I love my work. I love my kind of life's work, which is just to tell stories and to make things and to try and make people smile or surprise people or push people into different feelings or different narratives. And I, I just enjoy it so much. I love it. So uh, I wouldn't, couldn't imagine doing anything else as proven by the pandemic when I <laughs> barely do anything. You know? I love the faith your missus had in you. That was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, she's like, she's just, I mean, she's like cursed to kind of live with me because it's just, uh, she's a legend, but, and she, you know, and, and she's, we're both artists. She's also an artist. So we both suffer from the artists, you know, we're not very good at like making sure that we've done a spreadsheet of bills or that, you know, any of that kind of stuff, but we're brilliant at like waking up and deciding that we're going to paint that day. And that's just what we do. So it's kind of, it's very bohemian, but we're trying to kind of also like live within the society that we need to live in. Uh, <laughs> but it's good. So she's very good. So going, you know, being with an artist is a blessing as well because she knows what it means when I say like I need to go away for a month on this job because let's say I'm in Cape Town at the minute working and she's like, she can see that I would go mad if I didn't do it. I would just, I would like, I'd send myself insane if I didn't go and um, make the things that I want to make or do the things I want to do. So, yeah. yeah. She's well, I know you can't talk about whatever's going on there in Cape Town, whatever you're making, but when you can, do let me know and I'll update the show notes and we'll put it in there. All right, Joe. This has been so lovely. I've got two final questions for you before you go. Yeah. So you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the jam, <laughs> your face. It can be the jam, the style council or solo. What are you going to go with? Oh, that's just ridiculously hard. One forever. I might, do you know what? I might, it's so, I have to tell a story with it, right? Of course. I always expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love, I love this, uh, you know, this show in the city is like one of my favorite songs of all time. Town Called Malice is one. It's just an absolute like stone cold classic, like Peacock Suit, um, you know, May Love Travel With You, I think is just an incredible piece of music. Country is amazing. Uh, all the pictures on the wall, like there's so many songs that I love, but I have a small playlist of like four or five tracks. And when I'm about to shoot a film that I'm like a little scared about, because, you know, sometimes you're, you're like, I'm about to do something that um, I'm a bit nervous about or that I've not, you know, like say for instance, before I shot the Coldplay video, I remember being in Hamburg where we shot it. And I remember having to psych myself up because I thought this is going to be a, this this be a big video, like it's a big thing. Like I'm working for Coldplay. It's you know it's going to get attention. It's people are going to see it. It has to be good. Like I want it to be great. And so I have a very small playlist of songs of like five or six songs, which kind of put me in the right mood of psychologically getting me into a space where I go out and enjoy the experience and I love it rather than sort of I'm in fear of it because I think a fear mindset just leads to you not being in a flow state. But, uh, you know, you can kind of get into a love mindset. So Changing Man is on that playlist because I find it just really G's me up, man. I can like listen to that song. It just makes me feel 10 feet tall when I put it on, you know, and it, it's always had that effect. And even though it's like such a, it feels like, you know, the opposite of a deep cut to say, uh, I'm going to go for the biggest hit on Stanley Road. It's like a really like <laughs> yeah. silly answer, but um, it is a, you know, it's an absolute classic of songwriting and you 
put it on anywhere. You bang it on in your headphones, you put it on loud and you just feel 10 feet tall when you listen to it. And I've seen him play it live and it did the same thing to me live. I was like, cannot believe I'm listening to this song. It's amazing. You know, <laughs> I'm having an emotional reaction. Yeah, it's brilliant. There, Joe, it's amazing. It's me. Yeah. That's what you want from music, right? Yeah. The power of music. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like, I think there's a, for anybody that's interested, if they want to cipher the playlist on that, on that playlist, there's Changing Man, there's the Universal by Blur, there's, uh, This is the One by the Stone Roses. Um, and they're just, I can't help remember what else there is, is it? it but it just, the mu- this music that just makes you feel like anything is possible. Like actually something could happen, you know, something amazing could happen. That's Love always it. a way kind of approach life something amazing might happen hey joe final question so the purpose of this podcast is to meet lovely people like yourself and hear your stories your connections with mr weller but the reason i created the podcast in the first place was to get the interview with paul weller that i never managed during my radio career i was a radio mm-hmm. broadcaster i gave it up with one big regret and that was that i never got to interview paul so i created a podcast to make it happen if it happens what should i ask him what should you ask paul it's a very good question actually what would i ask paul i mean I think the obvious question is like, what are you going to do next? But I think, I don't think he necessarily even thinks about next. I think he's the kind of person that lives very much in the now. He kind of just does whatever he wants to do. So that's probably a terrible question to ask him because he probably wouldn't know. But I think I'd ask him how he's feeling because I think he's a, I mean, I don't think you can write that music without having a real like main line into human emotion. All the great musical storytellers like Joni Mitchell, Bruce Springsteen, Paul Weller, John Lennon, you know, they all have this like main line into human emotion and, and what it means or feels like to be a human or, or, and have experiences. And so I'll be kind of interested to, I'd ask him where he's at. I'd ask him how he's feeling. And I think you'd get an incredibly insightful inspiring answer you know that probably came out it probably start with yeah all right and then it'd probably go into something incredibly kind of insightful and very succinctly you know i mean that's another skill he has is he can take super complex emotions and just deliver it in a line that you're like oh my god i can't believe you've just uh you've kind of summed up (laughs) like you know you do something to me it's like you've just summed up the whole human experience of love in one line. It's yeah. <laughs> absolutely mental. You can do that. Joe, this has been such a joy. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with pleasure. us on the podcast. Much appreciated. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Catch you later. My thanks once again to Joe Connor for joining me on the podcast. If you haven't yet seen the Wildwood documentary, then keep an eye on Sky Arts for any repeats over the next few weeks. It's utterly brilliant. I will update details in the show notes on how you can see it as well. Plus, on there, you can find that brand new toy video. You can find the May Love Travel With You documentary film and so much more that rolling stones video we talked about plus details of his music too just head to the show notes for this episode of the podcast for a real deep dive into an incredible talent that's joe connor on the podcast my thanks once again to him if you enjoyed this episode then please do share on your social media channels spread the word on x you can tag us in at weller fan pod you can also get in touch facebook instagram and threads just search for Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.